I was glad last night when I talked to Keith that I was not with him. He said it was really cold. <laughs> so, but they were having a good time. He said they were driving along, and he said they kept seeing this something on the side of the road. And, and uh, so they stopped at this place and asked him what it was. Anybody got a clue what it is? Black and small in a ditch. It was black and small, kind of small in a ditch. And they, they kept seeing it. I said, what was it? He said, you have to guess. <laughs> a porcupine. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's what I said. Ah, yeah. He said, yeah, they have them everywhere up there. So I thought, okay, porcupines. So, uh, okay. But they're having a good time. It's real cold, but they're doing real good. He, he, I think he went faster than he ever went in the airplane. So he hasn't stopped smiling yet, he said. <laughs> so uh, I said, so you had a real good tailwind, right? He said, yep. I said, so what about the headwind when you come back? He went, oh. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, he's going to have a meeting, having a meeting. They're two hours later than us, so it's um, 10 o'clock there, so he's probably still preaching. Anyway, we better change the subject before it gets back to him. Somebody will tell on me. Fall social, are y'all ready for it? Everybody going to wear something warm and it's going to be a nice night and we're going to do all the fun things and stuff. Be sure on your desserts that you bring something and you bring something you somebody's going to like and you cut it up small so that we don't have any troubles with that. Y'all remember that, right? Yeah, so uh, we can have a fun time with that sort of stuff. And somebody tell Dave what that heath is. Shrub bush. Shrub bush, yeah. Well, I'm not going to tell him that. Yeah, I'm not going to tell him that. She says a naked person. Big difference between a shrub bush and a naked person. So uh, so uh, we'll go forward now. Uh, y'all ready to have church? We better, we better go on. Um, I'm ready to have church. So uh, let's do it tonight. I had something come up on my heart, and I thought Dave was going to preach parts of it tonight. I don't know what the deal was there. He just trying to be led or something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, we'll go on, and we'll do what the Lord tells us to do tonight. It'll be good, right? Yeah. We can do it. Well, you know, sometimes it feels like, and the way that it's been going around here and the people that we've had to talk to, I know that some people have been feeling that way, that they've been going through like the battle of the century. Don't raise your hand. We won't, we won't take any comments from anybody. But it just kind of feels like if you have to deal with one more thing right now, that's just going to kind of like be it, you know? Well, I thought of somebody like that. Anybody think of somebody like that in the Bible? Job. Job. And I thought about him. And, you know, and as I was thinking about him, I thought, can it get any worse, you know? Could it get any worse for Job? Well, let's look at him just a little bit. Let's look at Job 33, verse 28. What happens when things get so bad that there's no light and you keep going down and down and down and down and down? I mean, it keeps getting darker and darker. That's what happens. But is there a way out? 
I think there is. There's a way out. So let's find out about some ways out tonight. Y'all want to? All right, let's do it. If Job can get out, can you get out? Is God a respecter of persons? Will he do it for Job and not for you? I don't think so. So uh, let's look at it. Job 33, verse 28. It says, He will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring his soul back from the pit, to be enlightened with light, with the light of the living. Listen to the NIV. Look on the screen. They'll put it up unless you have an NIV. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit, and I will live to enjoy the light. God does all these things to man twice, even three times, to turn back his soul from the pit, that the light of life may shine on him. Now the new living. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with light. Yes, God does these things again and again for people. He rescues them from the grave so that they may enjoy the light of life. And then the message. But God stepped in and saved me from certain death. I am alive again. Once more I see the light. This is the way God works over and over again. He pulls our souls back from certain destruction. So we'll see the light and live in the light. Now, did you notice anything in that? Did you notice who does that for you? You can get in a mess, but God does it what? Over and over and over again. Saves who? Me. Me from destruction. Say it. God will save me over and over and over and over again. That's what God will do for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God will save you. Over and over and over again. Doesn't matter what the devil says. God says he'll save you over and over and over again. And you'll see light at the end of the tunnel. You can come up and see light. Does does it feel like you've been just seeing dark? Well, there's a way to see light. Don't have to just see dark. Okay? Turn with me to Deuteronomy 31. Now, I'm just going to read some of these real quickly because you already know most of these and then we're going to go forward. I don't want to take much time on this next part because you already know it. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. It says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, He it is that goes with thee. He will not fail thee. Or forsake thee. The Message Bible says, Be strong, take courage, don't be intimidated. Don't give them a second thought. 
Because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. Then 31.8 says, And the Lord, He is that goes, that doeth, doth go before thee, and He will be with thee, and He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. The message says, God is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. Don't be intimidated. Who are you going to be intimidated by? Who's going to try to intimidate you? The devil. All day long, all night long, he's going to tell you your bills are not going to get paid. You're not going to get healed. Your marriage is not going to be okay. You're not going to know what to do. You're not going to know where to go. You're not going to know what to say. But it says, don't be intimidated. And what's the last one? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Don't worry. Now, my Bible says God cannot lie. Does yours say that? Yeah. And so he says he doesn't forsake us, and he's not going to leave us. But what happens? Why do we get in the mess that we get in? Because we think oftentimes, now I'm going to say we, because I'm included in this, and you know I always tell stories on myself mostly, that we are smarter than God. And we're smarter than everybody around us. What about Job? What did he think? Anybody ever read Job? Well, maybe we should look at Job tonight then. If you have never read Job, we'll look at him some. Job had a lot of good thoughts. They just weren't from God. And so did his friends. But they weren't from God. And Job sat around and whined, and whined, and whined, and whined, and complained, and whined, till all of his friends got tired of hearing him whine. Your friends ever get tired of hearing you whine? Yeah, I think some of mine have sometimes. I'm not really much of a whiner, but I have whined. And he whined so much. Job whined and complained so much that God got tired of him whining. Now, that's bad. When God gets tired of hearing you whine, you got problems. Because God's patient. But when he gets tired of hearing you whine, you've whined too much. And you've complained way too much. So what happened to Job? Look at Job 38.1 in the Message Bible. Just put it up on the screen. Let's look at it on the screen because they're going to put it up on the Message for us because it says it real plain for us. 38.1. There you go. It says, And now finally God answered Job after all of his complaining from the eye of a violent storm. And he said, Why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk about things 
without knowing what you're talking about. Say, oh me. You ever done it? Now, is he just talking to Job? Is this in here just about Job? Would it have wasted the pages? If it had been just about Job, it would have wasted pages, right? It's for us to learn from it, right? Okay. Why are you talking about things that you don't know anything about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you. And I want some straight answers. Now, did he upset God? Now, I'm telling you, you whine too much when you got God come down and talk to you. And tell you to straighten up. I don't want that to happen. What about you? Maybe time for you to quit whining then, I'm telling you. It says, um, where were you when I created the earth, Job? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured? Who set the cornerstone? You get the picture? Job didn't know as much as he thought he did. But he talked about it. Chap- this, you see what chapter this is? 38. So him and his friends had talked a lot. <laughs> chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter about what they knew about what was going on, about why Job was in the mess he was in. You ever sit around and done that with your friends? Why you can't pay your house payment? Why you can't pay your bills? Why your marriage is falling apart? Why your kids are in the mess they're in? Why this is happening to you? Why this is happening to you? Why you're losing your mind? Why? Right? And you talk, 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 and you talk about the problem, and you talk about the problem some more, and you talk about the problem some more, and you talk about the problem some more, and then you talk some more about the problem, and then you find out some more about the problem, and then you hear some more about the problem, and then you discuss the problem some more, and then you go back and forth about the problem, and then the problem is still there. Because we have a problem. We're not discussing an answer. We're discussing a problem. problem. And that's what Job and his friends did chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter till God got disgusted with them. They had all the answers, so much so that God came down and said, You know so much, Job. Now, I don't want God coming down and telling me, Miss Prince, you know so much. If you know so much and you got yourself in this big mess, why are you in such a mess? Huh? If you're so smart, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Don't, don't look at me like that. I mean, if you have all the answers, 
It's real easy to counsel somebody else and tell them what to do. Why don't you fix your own mess? Job was doing that very thing. He could tell his friends how to do all their stuff, but he wasn't ready to fix anything for himself. So God came down to fix it for him. Why do people's lives get in such a a dark downhill spiral? Why does it seem like it just keeps going from bad to worse and the situation just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and it just seems like they go that way year after year after year after year after year and nothing get better. And they just stay in that place year after year after year and they continuously talk about the problem and things never get better. Their finances never get better. Their children never get better. Their families never get better. Their marriages never get better. They never get any smarter. They never get any better looking. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why is that? Because they figured out the answer for themselves. They never went to God. They are figuring out all the answers and the direction and the way and everything for themselves, just like Job was doing. Let's look at something else for a minute. When you want to figure out how to get out of a mess, what should you do? Go and gather all your friends and all your prayer groups and everybody that has the same problems. And discuss it. Have a discussion group about it. And see how many different ways you could figure out that you could fix it. That's what we do. And we really, really, really like it when people come along and pat us on the shoulder and say, Bless your heart. Nobody shouldn't have to go through that. <laughs> Devil's really picking on you. We like it when somebody pets us. Why? We like to feel sorry for ourselves. It's fun sometimes, but you know what? There's two sides. You got this side right here, and it's God's side. And it's victory, and it's faith, and it's overcoming, and it's light, and it's helping people, and it's seeing good things, and it's prosperity, and it's health. And then you got this other side over here. And it's depression. And it's sad. And it feels sorry for itself. And it only thinks about itself. And it's broke. And it's down. And it can't 
have time to think about anybody else's bills or whether anybody else is going to get saved or anybody else is going to get healed because it can only think about itself. That's all you got time for because you're consumed with yourself. And it makes you want to throw up when you think about it. Because did God put us here that all we're supposed to think about is ourselves all the time? You are the most miserable when all you think about is yourself all the time. You ever noticed it? When all you think about from the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed at night is you. You're miserable. But when you don't have time to think about yourself all day long and you're busy doing something for somebody else all day long, how many of you have actually done that all day long? How do you feel at the end of the day? Wonderful. You hadn't had time. You're tired. You're worn out. You're physically drained. You're everything. But you feel great. So what should you do? Should you sit here and talk with your friends and feel sorry for yourself? Or should you do what you find out you're supposed to do on this side over here? Which is what? Turn to Job again. Let's find out. Job 40, verse 1. In the Good News Testament. Put it up on the screen if y'all have that one. I think you do. Yeah, there you go. Listen to what God said. Job, you challenged God Almighty. Will you give up now? Or will you answer? Like, will you answer me again? And this is what Job said. Now, is this going to be you or are you going to continue to answer? Ask yourself these questions. Again, this wasn't just written about Job. It was written for us to learn from. He says, Job, you challenged God. Why was he challenging God? He was challenging God because he was saying God got him in the mess he was in. And that God wasn't helping him out of the mess he was in. Now, I know nobody in this room has ever done that. And gotten mad at God because he didn't help him out. Or questioned whether he was real or questioned whether he cared or not. Nobody raise your hand. But that's where he's at right now. He's saying, Job, you challenged Almighty God. Is God asking you that? Have you challenged me? Will you give up now? Are you going to answer again? You going to answer some smart thing again, Job? This is what Job said. I spoke foolishly, Lord. What can I answer? I'll not try to say anything else. I've already said more than I should. The Living Bible says this. The Lord went on. Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Or will you yield? Do you, God's critic, have the answers? Then Job replied, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I lay my hand on my mouth in silence. I've said too much already. The message says, God then confronted Job directly. Now what do you have to say for yourself? 
Are you going to haul the mighty one into court and press charges? Job answered, if I can turn my page, I'll tell you the answer. I'm speechless in awe. Words fail me. I should have never opened my mouth. I have talked too much. Way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. Now, where are you? Are you smart enough to fix your problems? Are you ready to admit, I don't have the answer? Maybe he does. I mean, you've been living in the situation, what? One year, two year, three year, 20 year, 50 year? How long is it going to take for you to realize you don't got the answer? But there is somebody that does got the answer. And that does care and that never leaves you and never forsakes you. Because when you try to figure it out up here, you're going to be in a mess. But what did Job have to do? Humble himself. Turn with me to James 4. Verse 6. If you don't have this marked in your Bible, you should have it circled and starred and striped and stickers and... James 4, 6. But He, He, God, gives more grace. Wherefore, He, God, says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw, this is the part I want you to get, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what will happen? He will lift you up. The Amplified says, come close to God and He will come close to you. The Message Bible reads from verse 5, And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. Or the one that thinks he has all the answers for himself. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work His will in you. Yell loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and He'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit 
playing. I like to end it there. Quit playing the field, but just quit playing. Hit bottom. Cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. That says it pretty plain. Is that what Job did? You want to find out? Turn back to Job then. Job 42 in the Message Bible. The whole chapter, we'll read it. And we'll put it up on the screen in the Message Bible and you can get it. It says it real plain. Job answered God, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it, I was the one. I babbled on things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders that were way over my head. You told me, listen, and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do it again. I promise. I'll never again live on crust and hearsay, crust of rumor. After God had finished addressing Job, he turned to Eliphaz, the Temanite, and said, I've had it with you two and your two friends. I'm fed up. You haven't been honest either with me or about me. No, not the way my friend Job has. So here's what you must do. Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my friend Job. Sacrifice burnt offerings on your behalf, on your, your own behalf. My friend Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer. He will ask me not to treat you as you deserve for talking nonsense about me and for not being honest with me as he has. They did it. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite uh, did as God commanded. And God accepted Job's prayer. After Job interceded for his friends, God restored his fortune and then doubled it. Now let me go back to verse 5. Put it on the screen there for just a minute. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. I think as a body of Christians, that's what most people do. They live by what they have heard people say and they don't know God for themselves. So that is why when the devil comes and attacks them in their body or in their finances or in their marriage or with their children or with any area of their life, they have nothing to stand on. They have no foundation. They're like the house that's built on the sand. Because they don't know God for themselves. They know it 
know him through hearsay. You can't just know God by coming here and hearing a sermon on Friday and Sunday. No way. That will make you survive through the week. Maybe. But anytime a, a real attack would come, you're going down. You have to spend time with Him. You have to know Him. Let me give you an example. There are people all over the world that have seen Keith. There are people all over the world that have listened to his tapes. There are people all over the world that come up to him and they act like when they see him that they know him. Why is that? Because they've heard him so much. They used to do it with Brother Hagin all the time. They, they've heard him so much, they've listened to him so much, that they feel like they know who he is. He's been in their living room. He's been in their ear. He's been uh, in their bedroom. He's been... Because they've listened to him so much. But do they know him? There are people that know Keith at different levels. Like, for instance... Kate knows Keith, how he would pack her, certain things he would like. She's been working for us for years. She'd know those things about him. And uh, Jack, he might know how he wanted his steak cooked or something. Dave might know how he wants his steak cooked, so the both of them might know that. I'd know it too. But then there's other things that Kate and Jack wouldn't know that maybe Dave and I would know about him, like money things or more private things, church things. But then there would be things that I'd know about him that he wouldn't know about him. Like how he cuddles. Or what his visions are, what his dreams are. Why is that? Because I've sit and listened to him for hour after hour after hour after hour. And we've talked and we've communed with each other and we've fellowshiped with each other. And I've gotten to know him. I've loved him. He's loved me. Same thing has to happen with God. 
You have to spend time with him. Not with hearing a sermon from me. That is not spending time with him. That's hearing a sermon from me. You only know the God that I know if you're hearing a sermon from me. And you can only believe what I tell you that the Word says. That's what was happening with Job. His friends were lying to him. He had to find out who God was for himself. And it wasn't until he found out who God was for himself that things turned around for him. And until you find out who God is for yourself, things are not going to turn around for you. You have to fellowship with God for yourself. Friends are good. They're great. They're wonderful. But they're not God. And He's the only one that will give you the answer that will work for you. The only one. I've had people call me and ask me, should I do this? Should I do that? Should we get this person? Should we go this place? Should we do this? Should we uh, live here? Should we live there? Should we get this job? Should we hire this person? Should we uh, do whatever? There's absolutely no way that you can answer those questions. You cannot answer those questions for people. And if you're answering for those, those questions for people, you're leading them wrong. Because you cannot, hear God for, uh, you cannot hear from God for another person unless he specifically tells you something. You cannot. You have to get in fellowship with him one-on-one and hear from him directly. Can you hear from God? Let's look and see. Let's look and see. Let's find a a few scriptures here that we can hear from God on. We'll find some. We'll skip some notes. We'll lose them like Keith does here in a minute. Turn with me to John 13.23. And I think you'll get a real good picture of this. When I tell you this, you remember, I think it was, I don't remember, maybe it was in the marriage meeting I told this, about how sometimes when I'm really, really, really tired or drained, and it seems like one thing after another has happened all day long, I would go home, and what would I do? I'd crawl up in the recliner with Keith, lay my head on his chest, and steal all of his juice. Y'all remember me telling that? And I could ask him anything at that time. Why? Why is that? Why, why could you ask anything? I mean, you're cuddled and you're, and you're there. You're fellowshipping with him. It's a special time. Let me show you another time like that. John 13, 23. 
Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples that what? Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him that he should ask. Why, why did he want him to ask? Why did, Simon Peter was right there. He was right there next to Jesus. He couldn't have been far because he was telling him to ask. Couldn't have been that far away. Same thing the staff does to me all the time. Ask Brother Moore. Do it all the time. Would you ask Brother Moore if he'll sign this? Or would you ask Brother Moore, would he get this? We're really late. Susan will sneak in there. Would you ask Brother Moore? We need a letter. Please, we need him. Why don't you ask him? Why? Because they think I might have a little bit more in with him. Right? Well, why was he asking, Simon Peter asking him, John that? He thought he was closer. So what happened? He said, um, therefore he beckoned him that he should ask him who it was that he spake of. He was then lying on Jesus' breast and said to him, Lord, who is it? What's the next two words? Jesus said, ain't none of your business. He's laying there on his chest. And he answered, can you cuddle up to Jesus? Will he talk to you? Now, I know I'm his favorite. Don't forget it. And I cuddle up to him all the time. And he talks to me all the time. And I hear from him all the time. And I don't make any decisions without talking to him. I don't. And you want me to tell you a newsflash? You'd be dumb too also. And if you've been making decisions without talking to him, you're dumb. I'll say it boldly and plainly. You'll get yourself in a big, dark, confusing mess. And you'll wonder how you got there. Because you're being led by you and not by him. And that's how you get in a mess. Every time. Because you know what? You're too dumb to lead yourself. I know I'm too dumb to lead me. Because my flesh likes different things than my spirit and God likes. My flesh will do dumb stuff if I let it. So I don't let it. What about your flesh? Y'all's flesh is special then. Only about ten people said theirs would. Y'all got some... Tell me where that flesh came from. See if I can't find something like that. Let's see about God talking to some people. Genesis 17, 19. See how specific God will get with you. See if he'll help you out. 
God said, Sarah, your wife will bear a what? She knew what she was going to have. But not only did she know what she was going to have, what, what's the next part? Call his name. What? Did you ask God what to call your child? Or did you go through a book and pick one out? Hey. Genesis 20, verse 3. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman that thou hast taken, she is another man's wife. Spared his hide, didn't he? You'd want to know that, wouldn't you? I think so. Genesis 21, 12. They can put them on the screen probably quicker than you can find them. And God said to Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman and all that Sarah had said unto thee. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Listen carefully. All that Sarah said unto thee, hearken to her voice. He told the man to listen to his wife. There it is, right there in the Bible. Look out. We'll just move right along. Numbers 22, 12. And God said to Balaam, what did God say to Balaam? Don't go. Will he tell you when to go and when to stay? Is he a respecter of persons? If he told him, will he tell you? This is the old covenant. Remember that. 1 Kings 3, verse 5. Uh, And the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, God said, Ask what I shall give thee. First Chronicles 14, 14, David inquired of God and said to him, do what? Go not up, not time to go. Will he tell you? That's all the Old Testament. Let's look at one of the New Testament. Luke 12, 19. Now, I didn't write this next verse. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That verse right there is many people's problem. Because look at the next verse. God said unto him, What? Why did he say that to him? Because he wasn't doing what God told him to do. He was doing what he wanted to do. And laying up treasure for himself. Nobody in here is doing that, right? They got more important things to do, right? Like listen to God. Why don't people listen to God?
Hmm? Why don't people listen to God? Why wouldn't we have listened to God when he said, okay, sell everything and move to Branson? Because the very first thing, we don't like to listen to nobody. First and foremost, even if it is God. We like to do things our own way, at our own time, when we want to, how we want to, where we want to. Even if it's God, we don't want to do it. Hey, you have to be honest with yourself before you can get any help. Even if it's God, we don't want to do it. That's first and foremost. You don't listen because you don't want to. It's just that simple. Why isn't this church packed out tonight? Because somebody didn't want to get dressed and go to church. It was easier. They were tired just to lay at home in their recliner. Just that simple. Why didn't you do what God told you to do this week and give that person $100 when he told you to? But you know what? It's not smart. Listen to what God says. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. This is what God says. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give hope and a future. Then you'll call upon me, come and pray, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with what? All your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Let's look at, um, I'm sorry, that was the uh, NIV. Look at the Good News Translation. I alone know the plans that I have for you. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans to bring about the future you hope for. Then you'll call on me. You'll come to me. Come and pray to me and I will answer you. You'll seek me and you'll find me because you'll seek me with all your heart. Yes, I say, you'll find me, and I will restore you to your land. What's the first and foremost thing we've got to do if we want things to turn around? Stay on his side. Think what he's thinking. Do what he's saying. 
The devil wants to plant other thoughts in our mind, but we've got to think his thoughts. Remember the thing here that I did, God's side, the devil's side. You've got to make a choice once and for all which side you're going to be on. You've got to draw a line in the sand. I'm not going to be lukewarm. I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and I'm going to do it God's way once and for all. Like that verse said, I'm going to quit playing with it. I'm going to quit fooling around. I'm going to do it. What the devil tries to paint is it's hard to serve God. It's hard to give it all up and do what God wants you to do. No, what's hard is to not do what God wants you to do. And all the turmoil and all the torment and all the sadness and all the poor things that you go through and all the sickness that you go through and all the mental anguish that you go through. The joy is when you're on God's side and that you enjoy life and the good things that He has for you. And you don't have to go through all those things. But the devil doesn't want you to see that. Look at 2 Corinthians. You all know this. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So when the devil comes to you and tells you, don't do that for God, why would he be telling you that? Because he doesn't want you in God's plan for you because he knows God's plan for you is to prosper you and bring good things to you and get you out of disaster. The devil is a lot of things, but he's not dumb. He knows God wants good for you. The Message Bible says we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. And that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to put up a barrier between you and God, a wall between you and him so that you won't see the truth that he has for you. He keeps you blinded to the good things that God has for you And keeps you in a place to where you'll never see the good that God has for you. Just keep you thinking about yourself and how bad things are for me. And how sad I am and how I never get to do what I want to do. And how it's just not working out for me. I just can't do what I need to do. And I'll never have what I need to have. And it'll never come to pass the way I thought it would. And I'll never have the white picket fence. But you forget about all the other wonderful things that's going on in your life. How your whole family is healthy and wealthy and everything else is just perfect. But the devil only wants you to see the little white picket fence. And if you stay there, you'll go down. And you won't enjoy life. Look at what John 17, 23 says. And this is truth. It's in red letters. 
So it trumps everything your little brain said. John 17, 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you sent me and has loved them as you loved me. Now that's impossible. That God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Because he took care of Jesus. And he made sure he was okay. And he's in heaven and seated at his right hand. And you're down here going through all the torment that you're going through. And he don't care that you're going through all that torment. And he don't care that your husband treats you that way. Or he don't care that your wife treats you that way. Or he don't care that your bills are not paid or that you're about to lose your house. Because he doesn't love you enough to fix it for you. Or you've been believing for a spouse for a hundred years. And he don't care. Or he'd send you one. Is that true? Who's telling you that? So what do you got to do with thoughts like that? Cast them down. Because if you don't, what happens? You start feeding on them. And you start getting bitter at everybody. Because bitterness is like what? Yeast. And it grows. And it grows. And it grows. And you're first bitter at one person. And then you get more bitter. And you get more bitter. And you get more bitter. And everybody around gets affected by it. You don't just keep it to yourself. Bitterness isn't that way. Bitterness spreads. Whether you're bitter at God because he doesn't get you out of the mess you're in. Or you're bitter at your mom. Or you're bitter at your brother. Or you're bitter at your dad. Or you're bitter at your sister. Or you're bitter at your husband. Or you're bitter at your wife. Whoever you're bitter at, it's going to spread. And that's just what the devil wants to do. And the more bitter you are, and the longer you're that way, you're never going to come out of your situation. Until you humble yourself and do like Job did. Job was getting bitter. Bitter at God. So how do you fix it? What's the first thing you got to do? Let's see what Job did. What did Job do? See if I can find my notes here. Let's look at this before we turn there. Acts 24, verse 16. This will help you with what we just talked about. And herein do I exercise exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and man. Can you be offended at God? 
Can you be offended at man? The Amplified says, Therefore, I always exercise and discipline myself to mortify my body, deadening my carnal affections. Now, y'all all said you didn't have any, so y'all might be okay with that one. <laughs> and bodily appetites and worldly desires, endeavoring in all respects to have a clear, unshaken, blameless conscience, void of offense toward God and man. The NIV simply says, So I strive always to keep a conscience clear toward God and man. The very first thing you have to do in order to get things turned around, first, everybody say first, first, is be honest with yourself. Because until you're honest with yourself, you'll never come out of it. You won't even want to repent. You won't have a desire to repent. You won't get the gift of repentance allowed in your life. You have to be honest with yourself that you can't fix it. And be honest with yourself that you got yourself into that mess. Because God did not get you in the mess of not being able to pay your bills or the mess of your marriage or the mess of not being married for a hundred years or not having the wisdom or hiring the wrong person that's stealing from you. I never hire a person unless I hear from God. Never. Never. I don't care how bad we need them or if we needed them for a year. Never. I never go to a doctor that God didn't say that doctor was okay. Never. See how quiet it is? Never. People do not live their lives trying to hear from God and then they blame Him when they get in a mess. You have to fellowship with God and hear from God from the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed at night. You have to hear from God, should your child go to this? Should they be involved in ballet? Should they be involved in soccer? Should they be involved in, in this sport? Should they be involved in this? You have to hear from God. Do they go to this college? Do they do this? Do they do that? You don't just sit down and spin a wheel and say, this college. Because they got a scholarship from there. The devil is real good at sending scholarships. Nobody even hardly laughed on that one. You got to hear from God what house you buy. Not the best deal. You could be living in a neighborhood where you don't need to be. Right. 
You got to hear from God what car you buy. It's not his fault if the motor blew up six months after you had it. You missed it when you got it. You've all heard the story about the blue Corvette Keith wanted so bad. Right? Only ten people have. The tapes are free. What, what does free mean? If you want to hear it, you'll find it. Hear it. It's not his fault if the devil steals your money. It's your fault for buying the wrong thing. I'm sorry, that's the way I feel about it. Because it's our responsibility to hear from God. We have to take responsibility for ourselves from hearing for God, to hear from God. The devil isn't, he's, we're getting to blame him for everything and he's not doing hardly anything. Stop. Be honest with yourself. Look at your day and ask yourself throughout your day, did I stop and ask God, do I go to this store or do I go to that store? Do I go this way or do I go that way? I mean, I know you think I'm telling you a dishonesty here, but I ask God from the time I leave my house, do I go this way to work? Do I go that way to work? Do I go to this store? Do I go to that store? Do we buy from this person? Do we buy from that person? Do we? I do it all day long. If you don't believe me, you find some of my staff and ask them. That is the only way you are protected. You have the Holy Spirit. But the only way that the Holy Spirit can protect you is if you listen to Him. He is useless to you if you don't listen to Him. And if the devil is stealing things from you, it's because you're not listening to what God's telling you. You can get yourself in a big mess by listening to the devil. And you can blame it on your family. You can blame it on your friends. You can blame it on the devil. And it's all you. I know. I've done it. You don't want to take responsibility for your own self and for what you've done. It's too easy to blame other people and other things. But until you look at yourself and say, boy, you messed that up. You're never going to get help. So the first step in getting help is being honest with yourself. What did it say? Fall on your face. Humble yourself. Find you a place. You may not want to do it in front of anybody. You may not want to do it in front of your spouse. You may not want to do it in front of anybody. But find you a place. And say, God, I missed it. I blew it. I've got our whole family in a mess. I've got everything going on in a mess. God, I blew it. It's no wonder we're in the shape we're in. Hadn't been asking you anything. But I'm going to. It's not too late. You turn things around for Job, you'll turn around for me. And the devil picked the wrong person to mess with. And you can say the same thing. 
Because it doesn't take God long to turn situations around. When you get things right in here. So you be honest. You humble yourself and repent. Then you listen. You draw close to Him in everything you do. And you ask Him, God, what do I do? Do I buy this? Do I spend this now? Do I keep this? Do I give this away? Do I go here? Do I go there? Everything you do. Do I wear this today? Do I wear that today? Everything you do. You should be listening. That's why we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Because He can't be inside of this one and 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 this one one, all the way down the road. Jesus can't answer all these questions one right after the other telling us all what to do instantly. But the Holy Spirit can. So you have no excuse for not constantly asking Him about everything that you're doing. From the moment you walk in this door, you should say, Okay, Lord, where am I supposed to sit? Where am I supposed to be? Okay, which aisle am I supposed to walk up when I go out of church today? Okay, what direction am I supposed to go home? Okay, am I supposed to stop and eat or are we supposed to do this? Which way am I supposed to go to pick up the kids? Am I supposed to stop and talk to them? Are we supposed to do this? What time are we supposed to get up tomorrow? Where are we supposed to go? It's not your plans. And that's what people are confused about. They make their plans. They're not on God's side. They're on their selfish side. Okay, this is what I'm going to do today. We're going to get up and we're going to go do this and we're going to clean the yard and then we're going to go do this and we're going to do that. and we're going to. Dear me, if I had a day that I could make my own plans, it would be just grand. I can't remember a day like that. No, it wouldn't be grand because it wouldn't be blessed. And I like blessed way better. And protected. And prospered. And healed. And helped. And joyful. And enjoying life. And not just going through the motions of life. But happy and enjoying it. And when you get it skewed, it's not fun. So do you know what to do? Are you going to do like Job and you're going to say, you got all the answers? Or are you going to say, I don't know nothing, God. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do for sure. You ready to do it? Stand up on your feet. I'm going to pray in the Spirit for just a minute. And I want you to do the same thing. Because I don't think here is probably where most people need to repent. But I do think here is where most people need to look at being honest with themselves. Because uh, repentance is a real thing. And repentance is something, if you do it right, you ain't going to want nobody around.
It ain't just something that you do and you say, okay, I'm sorry, God. Okay, let's go eat dinner. Repentance is something that means something to you. It's something that you purpose in your heart. God, this is serious. And I'm taking this serious. I don't want my life this way anymore. I'm tired of it. I want changes. I want better. And you said in your word it could be better. I hadn't had better. I believe your word. I hadn't experienced that. But it's because I've done my own plans. So what I want us to do now is I just want us for just a minute just to pray in the Spirit. And then they're going to sing, we're going to be dismissed. Then you're going to find your own little cubby spot, whether it's your own closet, if you want to. Because you know what? Nobody can make you repent. But nobody can pay your bills for you either when you're crying and you lose your house. Or nobody can save your marriage for you either, no matter how much you cry to somebody else, except for God. But he can do it, no matter what it looks like. And restore it. What? Double. Quickly. Quickly. Let me read to you real quickly. I was going to read to you what they said. This one translation said Job got. That might bless you. Let's see if I can find it here. Got all my pages just like Keith does. Let's see here. I at least have mine numbered. He puts his on the front and back there. Mess. I don't know how he finds anything on his. Let's see. Uh, here it is. He ended up with 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 team of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named his first daughter Dove, his second daughter Cinnamon, and his third daughter Dark Eyes. Now listen to this part. There was not a woman in that country as beautiful as Job's daughters. Yeah. Their father treated them as equals with their brothers and provided the same inheritance. Job lived another 140 years living to see his children and grandchildren, four generations of them. Then he died an old man full of life. Now, that's quite different than where he was. Quite different. Things turned around for him. They can turn around for you. So, Father God, we do. We come to you now, and we just pray in the Spirit. And I just ask you now, Father, to help us be honest with ourselves, Father. Help us to see things clearly. Satan, I command you to take your hands off of everyone in this room and everyone watching by the Internet that they can see things clearly. Any chains that the devil has put on their hearts, their minds, their souls, I rebuke them in Jesus' name and say they will see clearly what God has for them, the plans and the purposes that God has for them. And they'll see the joy that He set before them and the good things that He has for them, Father, because you are a 
good God and you only have good things set for us, Father. And anything else is of the devil. And so I just ask you now, Father, as we pray in the Spirit, to reveal that to their hearts again if they've forgotten it. The good things that you have planned for them, Father. The wonderful things that you have in store for them. That there should be nothing that makes us hesitate from serving you fully, Father, because you are a good, good, good Father God. Father God. 